Well, uh, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open them to the book of Colossians. We call it a book. It's actually a letter to a New Testament church from the Apostle Paul. Colossae, or Colossae, however you want to pronounce it, um, is in modern-day Turkey. It was a small town at the base of some mountains, very much like our community here in Baker City. And it was a church that was founded by a gentleman by the name of Epaphras. Uh, the Apostle Paul had never been there. He had never seen them face to face, but they were facing some real difficulties. They were facing some false teachings and some false doctrines that were being introduced into the church. And this is uh, a, a situation that arose while the Apostle Paul was alive, probably around 54 AD or so. So if you've ever looked around this community or other communities and, and churches and thought, wow, how can Christianity maybe be true? Because so many different people have so many different versions or different teachings. Well, it was a problem right off the bat. Uh, there were individuals that would see, kind of sneak into the church. They were probably nice individuals, and they would begin teaching things that were contrary to the doctrines that Jesus taught. And so how do you combat that? Well, at the very beginning of the letter, the Apostle Paul begins to lay out who Jesus is. And if you have your bulletin this morning, there is, and you don't have a Bible, I've, I've laid out the text for you and summarized all the things of all the statements, all the, the, the very nature of of who Jesus is, according to the Apostle Paul. And some of this is surprising. So let's begin with chapter 1, verse 14, and we'll read through verse 20. It says, In whom we have redemption, referring to Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Let's stop there for a moment. I don't know about you, but I get up every day and I, I go to work, and, and work for me is ministry. Then I come home and I have house stuff that I need to do. I have to cook. I have to clean. No, you know me better than that. I probably don't do any of that. Judy does a lot of that. I'm just kind of a bum around the house. No, I do the typical man stuff, yard work, take care of the cars, all that sort of stuff, and I have no idea why it's man stuff. Somehow it just ended up on my plate. I'm not very good at it, but as you go throughout the week, you begin to get focused on the things of this world. And sometimes as you do that, your purpose can drift. Your purpose can, can go from, I want to honor God in everything I do, to I just need to get through the week. I need to get the job done. I need to get certain things done. And as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, the idea was this. Paul brings them back to this very foundation of who Jesus Christ is. And it is through this lens 
They are to evaluate not just this false teaching, but as we'll see in the coming weeks as we go through this book or in this letter, that we are to evaluate our very lives, our very purpose, who we are to become in light of these truths. So I've tried to take these and we can... We can uh, actually, in the next slide here, has these on the overhead if you can't read it in your bulletin. I tried to summarize all the key points in these verses of who Jesus is. Now, if you've been in church before, if you've been to vacation Bible school as a kid, you've probably heard a little of these, but I want to go through these verse by verse and really unpack these a little bit more. Some we've covered in the past weeks, but others we haven't even touched on. And ask yourself, is is this the Jesus that you believe in? Is this the Jesus that you've heard of? Maybe you haven't believed in him, but you, have you ever even heard of this Jesus? Beginning in verse 14, we've covered Jesus is our redeemer. By laying his life down on the cross, he redeemed those who would trust in him. He paid the price. Jesus is our savior. He forgave our sins for those who have placed their trust in him and repented and turned from their sins, he forgives our sins. And if you're maybe just a somewhat a visitor to church or new to Christianity, perhaps you've heard of these things regarding Jesus. But this next one in verse 15, Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. Do you realize this? That in the entire Bible, there's not a single reference to what Jesus looks like. Not one. The only thing that ever mentions his physical body at all are the scars in his hands and the scars on the side of his body after his resurrection. We have no idea if he was short, tall, wide, narrow. What's funny is the earliest pictures that we have of Jesus are on your screen in front of you. On the left-hand side, the guy at the top, apparently, we think, is Jesus. This comes from the second century regarding his miracles, and this is just a guesstimate. But moving from left to right, the image in the middle is from the Roman catacombs. This comes from the third century AD. As you notice, Jesus there has short hair, no beard. Imagine that. And then the fourth century is the Jesus we've all come to know and love, right? The long-haired Jesus with the beard. Isn't it funny how that works? That's what most people think of when they think of Jesus. This image, but quite frankly, we have no idea. And I think sometimes this can actually be somewhat deceptive to how we think of Jesus. Let's process this for a second. The New Testament writers inspired by God had every opportunity to describe who Jesus is, his image. Yet they didn't. What they described was when Jesus says, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And in John, the first chapter, it says, the word became flesh and they have seen the glory of the Son. In John chapter 17, Jesus praying to the Father for his disciples he prays that they would see the glory that he had for all eternity. The only references that we have in regards to the image of Jesus is glory. 
So when Jesus, when we think of the image of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. We're not limited just simply to this short guy with maybe no hair or a tall skinny guy with long hair. As a matter of fact, we're just given this image of the Son as being glorious. And then we are to be holy, Scripture says, as He is holy. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ in the New Testament. It states this idea. We're not to be conformed to skinny people or bald people, although if you want to go with the bald look, I, I would appreciate it. I'd feel more comfortable. But we're to go for glory, this image of Christ. So when we see Jesus, he is the image of this glorious God. He is the heir or the firstborn of all creation, according to verse 15. We've covered that. And now Jesus is the creator of all things visible and invisible. So we peel back and we are given a little more insight into the very first verses of the Bible. In fact, one of the children that came up here quoted these verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very beginning of all creation, Jesus was there. And he, it was through him, the Father created everything that you see, both visible and invisible. Is that the Jesus that you believe in? He is the purpose for all of creation. Verse 16. Notice here, all things were created through him and for him. Everything. You, me, everything that you see was created for your pleasure, for politicians, for our nation. No. Everything that you can imagine even was created for one purpose, for Jesus. That's hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? Everything was created for Jesus, not just by Jesus and through Jesus, but for Jesus. Amazing concept. Quite honestly, I've read through these verses time and time again, preparing for this sermon and on the one hand, some of this stuff seems so elementary. It's like, that's not a hard concept to, to really understand. I don't have to dig into the Greek for you. I don't have to look at, you know, 20 different commentaries. We, everyone in here can understand the words for, created for Jesus. What's hard is this, to step out of your worldviews, to step out of your daily life and to sit back and think, Everything, including me, is created for Jesus Christ. It's a hard concept to wrap your mind around. Everything that you've ever been taught, everything that you've ever learned or heard, if it's not that, then it's untrue, according to the Bible. All purpose, all meaning, all potential, all ideas, all philosophies, set those aside. Scripture says everything was created for Jesus. This is the Jesus that we worship. Imagine 
Everything is for him. And he continues in verse 17. And he is before all things. Even before creation, everything that you know existed, God existed. Jesus came in the flesh, but before he came in the flesh, he existed eternally. It's hard to wrap your mind around, but this is the Jesus who loves you and died on the cross for you. Think about this for a second. He created everything, yet he loved you enough to take on flesh and suffer and die for you. He is before all things. Verse 17, Jesus is the one that holds all things together. So even though physically we have certain physical laws of nature that God put in place, behind those laws, behind everything, is God. And he is holding everything together. This Jesus whom died on the cross. Think about that for just a second. If Jesus doesn't exist, everything disintegrates. You don't hear that talked about much in church. That sort of grandeur, that sort of power If you ever hear anyone say, well, Jesus was just a nice teacher. Jesus was just a rabbi. Jesus was just a prophet. That's not the claims of the Bible. This Jesus that we call you to to turn to, to save you, is the God of all creation. He is before all things. He holds all things together. And then verse 18, Jesus is the head of the church. If you ever hear of anyone diminishing the church, you cannot get rid of the church and keep Jesus. He is the very head. The church is called the body of Christ. If you set aside the church, you set aside Jesus. Now, Jesus is perfect. The church is not. We are called to be conformed to the image of Christ to be holy as he is holy. We are being sanctified. We are still sinners saved by grace. But nonetheless, Jesus is dwelling in the church. His spirit dwells in us. So if you diminish the church, if you kick the church to the curb, you're kicking Jesus to the curb. He is the head of the body. Think about that for just a moment. His body is not the nation of the United States it is not a corporation. It is not a great nonprofit entity. It is the church. And it's through the church that the, the gospel is spread, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is through the church that his glory is magnified. It's through the church that his love is known. This Jesus is the head of the church. He is the firstborn from the dead in a few weeks. Easter's coming where we traditionally celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose again from the grave. He didn't just die, he rose again. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. Jesus is preeminent over everything. Verse 18, chapter 1, Jesus is fully God in the flesh. He wasn't just a good man. He was God in the flesh. Verse 20, Jesus is the reconciliation of the world to God. 
all the sin, all the horrible things that you see in God, it is all solved by one man who was God in the flesh. He reconciled the entire world to God. God is willing to forgive absolutely every single sin other than the rejection of his son, the very solution for that sin. Everything is covered by the blood of Jesus if we're willing to repent and turn to him. Jesus is the reconciliation of the world. Jesus is our peace. In verse 3 of chapter 2, there in your little handout, he is the source of all true wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, once again, because this is so easy to kind of understand intellectually, as far as grammatically, these are not difficult sentences. I want to try to maybe connect in your mind or in your heart in a way in which maybe you, it is never quite connected. I want you to substitute something for me, all right? I want you, uh, just a mental exercise. Looking at this, this little handout that I have for you, who is Jesus? In replacing Jesus, I want you to put the word Scott, all right? I know that sounds heretical and kind of like uh, I'm about to ask you for a lot of money and, and something along those lines, but I just want you to think about this. Scott is our Redeemer. Scott is our Savior. Scott is the image of God. Scott is the heir of all creation. In other words, I own everything. Your money is my money. You're just simply managing it for me. Your kids are my kids. And no, I'm not going to take care of them for you. But your kids, your money are mine. So what are you going to do with it? Literally, if, if I redeemed you, if, if I was God, if, if, if I was the Savior, if I was the heir of all creation, the firstborn, if I held all things together, if, if you knew that Scott created everything, would you and I be hanging out on the weekends? Oh yeah, you'd be at my house all the time, right? You'd be like, Scott, how does this work? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Hey, Scott, I need a favor. Scott, uh, how about taking care of my kids? And I'd be like, okay, let's talk. Here's what I desire of you. I desire of you to be like me, to be holy. Would it be worth it to be able to have this relationship where you could just go over to my house anytime you want, come hang out, talk, know everything, to, to know the individuals that literally holds everything together in this world? If you knew that, would you talk about me among your friends? Would your life purpose change and change for your kids even? You're like, I know a guy who literally created everything, who died on the cross for me, literally can, can make my relationship with God perfect. I know a guy, right? Some of you know a guy that can get a deal on a car or know a guy that can get a, get a you know, maybe your... Some, some sort of special bargain for you, right? Everyone knows a guy. But you know a guy that redeemed the whole world. What sort, I, I, I happen to think that I would get some pretty good Christmas presents. I'm just saying, right? 
So if, if you would have an incredible relationship with me because of all these things, do you have that same sort of relationship with Jesus? When you view your kids, do you view them as being owned by Jesus? Do you have hopes and dreams for your children that are directed towards Jesus? Does your purpose in life change knowing that Jesus created everything? That everything in this world is for him? Does your purpose in life change when you know that Jesus, if you have Jesus, no matter how little money you have or how much money you have, no matter if you're married or you're single, that you will have peace. Knowing that Jesus defeated death. Imagine if you knew Scott defeated death and I literally was standing here in a resurrected body. You'd be like, cancer? No problem. Alzheimer's? No problem. ALS? No problem. Blind? No problem. I know a guy that beat death. Wow. How, how much would life change? Yet this is the Jesus that is presented in the Bible that you have access to. That dwell, his spirit dwells in you if you've trusted in him. As I was looking at these passages I've got to confess to you guys, my life really probably doesn't reflect that. Not nearly what it should. There are times, and maybe you're like me, there are times where you're closer to God and like, I'm all in. My money is Jesus's money. Uh, my house is Jesus's house. My four-wheelers, they're Jesus's four-wheelers. You know, as a matter of fact, one time I actually had that attitude. I had four-wheelers. You know what happened? I kind of crept back from the whole Jesus four-wheelers thing. <laughs> what happened was I viewed my four-wheelers that I once had as Jesus's, and I would loan them out, and I would get them back, and they were all tore up. Yeah, and somehow no one ever did anything. And after a couple years, they were beat up and dinged, and instead of viewing them as Jesus's, I was viewing them as mine, and I kind of got a little upset. Like, well, I'm just going to get rid of them. People are, are, are destroying them. And that little caveat, as I was thinking about this week, is like, you know what, that happens in life as well. When we're around other believers, when, when we give our life fully to God, and others haven't, and maybe they take advantage of you, maybe you've been here and you've been hurt in church, or you've served downstairs, maybe in Sunday school, or different things, and, and you realize oh, man, I'm not appreciated as much as I should be, or no one else is serving, or no one else is giving financially, or no one else is doing things. You begin to take some of that back from Jesus. And you're like, well, I'm going to live my life, and then I'm going to sprinkle a little Jesus in, rather than I'm all in. My purpose, my peace, my hope, my future is all about Jesus. Let me give you a second mental exercise. I want you to imagine if the entire world believed this. What would the world look like if the entire world believed that? 
Would we have any nations anymore? Would you really care? Would we have any crime? Don't think so. We would still have sin, right? Because we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We're not perfect. But if every person alive on earth believed these things about Jesus and lived them out, sought him for their source of wisdom and knowledge, would you have any envy? Would you have any hatred? Would you have... Would you have poor people? Whether it's poor people who are poor because of no fault of their own or even poor people who were once refusing to work and milk the system, now they're trying to honor God by working. Would we have need of armies? Would we really have much need of government? Where would the focus of our children be? Would what would we raise them to be? Would we raise them to honor Jesus? Or would we raise them to get rich and successful and retire early? Imagine if the whole world believed that. You know, it's a, it's a little awkward, really. Because at, at this point in time, I don't know about you, but if you're watching the news, you can kind of go, wow. That's really bad out there. Thankfully, I live here in Baker City, right? So in other words, we kind of elevate ourselves when everything else is bad and it makes our lives look pretty good. But if everyone was really good, we wouldn't really be able to cover too much for our own sins and our own faults. It's like, oh, most people consider me a pretty nice person, but if everyone else has raised the bar, man, I've got to step it up. Maybe I would actually have to really begin to deal with sin in my own life. I would really have to, to all of a sudden not just say that I love Jesus, but I would have to begin following him because everyone else is. It might make it a little easier sometimes. It's easier to be a part of the crowd. But can you just imagine even in the awkwardness, what the world would look like if everyone just believed that. And I'll simply close with this. Our mission as a church is not to meet together every Sunday. We do do that, and I am so glad you're here. I want to encourage you to come back. I want to encourage you to encourage others to love one another. Our mission isn't to just fellowship, although I, I want to encourage you to have some friends. Our mission isn't just to have a nice building. Our mission is, is one thing. Jesus. It is to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus because he's worthy of honor and glory because he is all of these things. And as we make disciples of Jesus, which I know makes you a little uncomfortable, some of you at least, the idea that you would speak about this Jesus to friends and family and coworkers and other students 
But as you do that, realize you're not doing it because the pastor said so or that the church said so. You're doing it because this Jesus really is creator, redeemer, sustainer, our peace, our hope. And if we want a world that really looks like that, a world that really believes that, Jesus chose the church to make that happen. He didn't choose nations, corporations, or nonprofits. He chose you and I. He commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. I pray that you have the love and the desire of this Jesus, that you would do that out of that love, not simply a command or a mission statement, but out of the love and the peace that you have personally because Jesus Christ forgave your sins. He redeemed you. He loved you. And he gave you a peace that surpasses all understanding and a hope of glory for all eternity that no one can take away. That's why you make disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, sometimes we complicate things at church. Sometimes it it does get complicated. But underneath of all the doctrines, of all the things that we ought to do or not do, there is a person, your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray if there is anyone in here that has never heard the simple good news of Jesus, that we are sinners. We are born sinners, but we choose to sin. All have sinned and fallen short of this glory. That though that's bad news, the good news is that Jesus Christ loved us enough to lay his life down for us while we are yet sinners. That if we would simply repent of our sins and turn and trust in him, believe that, that you raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord with our lips, that you will save us, you will redeem us of those sins, that you will save us from the, your very wrath that you will grant us eternal life. It's by your grace through faith, Lord, that we are saved. I pray that right now, if there is anyone in this building that has never made that eternal decision, that they would quietly pray to you. There are no magic words. Just simply trust in you, Lord, that they might be saved, that they might have hope of a future. Lord, for those of us that have known you, Help us to orient our lives towards you that we might look around us this coming week in all of creation and realize all of this was created for Jesus. Help us to live in that manner. In Christ's name I pray this, amen.